Today's guest, Chris Smalls, president of the Amazon Labor Union. Workers join laborers and human rights activists around the world, unequivocally denouncing the ongoing genocide and the 75-year-long militarist occupation committed by the settler colony Israel against the indigenous Palestinian people. Zionism as an imperialist and colonialist project of the West is inherently violent and systematically oppressive, and the intent and effect of genocide is clear, defending the inalienable rights of the Palestinian people to return and self-determination. Amazon itself must be held accountable as profiteering from genocide. Palestine is a working class struggle. Our tax dollars support Israel. This is not what the American people want. We need more labor unions, more workers to speak out. I'm super proud to stand on business. Can't rely on the government. We can't rely on politicians. The only thing we got is ourselves. You know, a statement is fire when you come on a podcast and they just read it back to you. History's heroes are just regular people who stepped up and did the right thing, right? It's regular people who were thrust into extraordinary circumstances. Everybody looks back at MLK Jr. and, and Malcolm X and Kwame Ture and Fred Hampton and all of these individuals like they are lionized figures, but mm. they were just regular people who refused to allow corporations capitalists, imperialists to tell them what to do. They knew that there was power in the people. And yeah. that's why they dedicated their entire lives to organizing around these issues. And that's why many of them died. That's why many of them were murdered, right? It's yeah. because they were effective. Hello and welcome to episode 111 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for decolonization, justice, and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gazan Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram, and you can call me Mikey Intifada if you sued your union and now you've lost over $11 billion. Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on Instagram at the palestinepod. Find us also on Patreon, where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes, an additional podcast per week. It's called the Patreon Pod. We're also hosting our monthly Zoom happy hours with our Patreon subscribers only. So really exciting stuff. Check us out on patreon.com slash Palestine Pod. Today's guest is Chris Smalls, the president of the Amazon Labor Union, the first union in history for Amazon. Chris, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Really great to be here. Uh, I love your background, by the way. You're, <laughs> you came in with uh, the Palestinian flag as a background. So very, very on theme, very on brand. So Michael said we have to have Chris on the pod. And once I started looking into your work, what you've been doing, I came across the statement of supports by the Amazon Labor Union for Palestinian liberation and freedom. It's an excellent, strongly worded statement. I, I want to share from it 
to our audience um, because I think it's so, so, so important. The Amazon Labor Union public statement that was published on December 14th on Instagram says that the workers and unionists of Amazon Labor Democratic Reform Caucus join laborers and human rights activists around the world unequivocally, one, denouncing the ongoing genocide and the 75-year-long militarist occupation committed by the settler colony Israel against the indigenous Palestinian people, two, demanding an immediate and permanent ceasefire as this is critical while the siege on Gaza and the settler colonial violence in the West Bank continues to escalate. Ceasefire is the necessary bottom line in the demand to end the genocide and occupation of Palestine. Holding the United States accountable for funding state-sanctioned violence committed by Israel through billions of taxpayer dollars and military aid. And very clearly stating that Zionism as an imperialist and colonialist project of the West is inherently violent and systematically oppressive and the intent and effect of genocide is clear. Number four, defending the inalienable rights of the Palestinian people to life, resistance, return, and self-determination. And going on also to support the international working class in taking direct actions such as walkouts, sit-ins, speak-outs, boycotts, divestments in consistence with the BDS movement. And it goes on and on and on, including even pointing out that Amazon itself must be held accountable as profiteering from war, specifically highlighting that Amazon must be condemned for its $1.2 billion contract signed in 2021 known as Project Nimbus, where Amazon Web Services provide cloud technology to the Israeli government and military. And I think this is an incredible text. <laughs> this is an incredible text. I didn't even get through all of it. You know, a statement is fire when you come on a podcast and they just read it back to you. <laughs> and I and I wish I could, I wish I could take credit for uh, putting that together, but I can't. You know, that's um, that's all coming from the workers, which you know I'm super proud to stand on business and stand behind them you know that's just what we do with the amazon labor union we're independent union and these things these world issues are something that we as laborers have to stand on they were already moving with the same accord i already took my stance on palestine day one um, from sharing my experience in berlin and that was surreal for me to to be around and witness and my union you know they they just uh they align with that. They align with the people of Palestine. They understand it's a working class struggle and they understand unions. Overall, we all have to take a stance in the times that we're living in now. So, you know, all the credit goes to the workers that put that statement together. I just use my platform to amplify it. And I'm glad that people are, are taking notice to it. So thank you for reading that. Can you tell us a little bit about the choice to put that statement out? You said that it was drafted primarily by the workers. Why did you feel that it was so important to come out with this statement in this moment? We need more labor unions and more labor leaders and more workers to speak out about these issues because this is, this is everybody's issue. You know, what's happening in Palestine, it happened to us. And I had this conversation with, you know, relatives and, and loved ones all the time. People of color in this country, we went through this already. We went through this. Despite that the genocide that we're watching, we're just now seeing it in fruition with social media. But imagine what we're not seeing and what they're going through right now as we speak that is not being televised and not being posted and shared. I can't even imagine that. If we're not amplifying and speaking about these issues, who's gonna do it for them? The same thing happened when it comes to organizing. Nothing's given to us. Nothing's gonna be given to us. We can't rely on the government. 
We can't rely on politicians. The only thing we got is ourselves, is the people, the people around us. So the statement and the timing of it is now. You know, there is no other time. There's no time, no point of return. And there's no time to wait for. We're running out of time. It was easy decision to put out the statement, but putting it together, a lot of it came from news clippings that we found, especially around Amazon and that contract. That was something that was released recently. And once again, our personal experiences, I've been on the ground for many of movements. People see me, they can go on my page right now. You'll see that I've been all over the world. I actually been in conversation with doc, Dr. Mustafa, MP from Palestine in Canada. So a lot of it came from personal experiences that we have. We rally all the time, organizations around New York City. Shout out to the People's Forum that be holding it down. All the other organizations I'm missing now, but they have keeping us abreast on what's the what to do, what uh, what type of action to take, and and the statement really just came together naturally. Um, I'm pretty sure the workers. I had no parts of it. By the time it was done, it was sent to me, and I just put the final stamp of approval to put it out there. And I love it that I didn't even have to change one single word. All I did was say, "Hey, it's got to go out there," and using every platform that we have available. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. If you want to shout them out, the organizations are Palestinian Youth Movement and Within right. Our Lifetime. That's right. Shout out to all of them and, and also the People's Forum. Uh, they the one that's been the glue holding it down every single day. They just was out there last night for gaming. They're going to continue to be out there. So follow them and support them any way you can. Absolutely. So U.S. labor has a history of both supporting the Palestinian people, but also a seedy history of supporting the colonization of Palestine. Support for the occupation is usually from the top down and is occasionally challenged by pro-Palestine actions from rank and file activists. Things are slowly starting to change now, though. Have you witnessed that from the inside or is it your experience that people were on board from the jump? No, definitely wasn't on board for the jump. I posted a statement as well before we posted a statement. And if you go back, you'll see that I shared what happened to me when I talked about Palestine my first day. I lost 3,000 plus followers in, in hours, literally. And I didn't mention Hamas. I didn't mention uh, genocide. I didn't mention any of these things. All I said was, we need peace and humanity. You didn't mention Hamas. Were you not defending them in the International Court of Justice? Oh, right. So I did, I lost over 3,000, probably 4,000 followers total between both platforms, Twitter and Instagram, just from one post. And I realized, I'm like, you know what? If people can jump ship like that, then there's probably people I don't need to be fucking with. Excuse my language. And I'm like, these conversations are the ones people like to avoid and including politicians. And you see it now, you see celebrities, you see, you see politicians, they're avoiding this conversation. If not, they're just spilling out the wrong information on purpose. And I don't know why it's a bigger sinister picture to it, but it don't make any sense to me. It just doesn't make any sense to me why we're supporting Israel 
with our tax dollars. And this is not what the American people want. It can't speak for us. And now we're at a point where we don't even know who the hell to vote for in this election coming up. It's ridiculous. The time is now. Things have to change. It's only going to happen with the people on the ground. Absolutely. I want to read something, just historical overview. In the early 20th century, most working class Jewish Americans were anti-Zionist or at best ambivalent about Zionism. The immigrant Jews who founded and led powerful organizations like the International Ladies Garment Workers Union, the ILGWU, and the amalgamated clothing workers had come up in Eastern Europe as members of the Socialist Labor Bund, which rejected Zionism as a bourgeoisie nationalist project that sidetracked class struggle. At the first Labor Congress in 1919, a national gathering in New York of representatives of Jewish-led unions claiming to represent 500,000 workers, delegates debated Zionism and passed a measure that explicitly rejected the idea of a Jewish state in Palestine. Instead, the resolution called for the establishment of, quote, a free, independent republic in which no nationality, whether a minority or majority people, shall have any special rights. Can you talk about how it is possible that labor, like the AFL-CIO, the largest unions in the country, have shifted so far from that position and what you think that influence might be? Oh, that's easy. They endorsed Biden day one already. What the hell? What did they what did they get in return? You got a president that went against the railroad strike last year. You got a president that is enabling genocide right now. He's not listening to his youth. And if you ask me, I went to the White House. I met Joe Biden. I met Kamala Harris. I met the, the Secretary of Labor when he was the former one, Marty Walsh. And I sat around these people and I said, there's no way in hell these people are in charge of our free world. Because when I left there, I felt like there's no hope. There's nothing coming. There's no cavalry. If we're, we're in trouble if they're running the White House. That's how I felt. Now, of course, I didn't go out publicly and, and say all these things like off the bat. I try to give them an opportunity because, yes, we need need certain politicians in place. Like, we need the progressiveness of the NLRB, which has been progressive enough to move along the cases with Amazon, the cases with Starbucks, things of that nature. But at the same time, it's still a slow process. You're telling me that Amazon Labor Union and Starbucks workers won their union two years ago already. And we still can't even get this company, neither one of these companies to come to the table. There's something wrong here. They're not doing enough. And they have the power to put stuff in writing and draft bills on a federal level. And I haven't seen that. As a trade unionist, in my short bit amount of time of being in this realm, I haven't seen politicians give us enough for me to say, I'm going to endorse them. The problem with the AFL-CIO is they endorse these politicians. They're giving away people's union dues and, and running their campaigns in order to keep a certain amount of people in power and get these breadcrumbs that only benefit the select few and not the working class people on the bottom. How is it that the AFL-CIO is in Israel? What is some of these union presidents doing in Israel? What the fuck are y'all doing? I would never be over there. Why are you endorsing Biden when he hasn't given us nothing in return? I don't give a damn if he showed up to a UAW rally. That don't mean anything. That doesn't mean nothing. Where are the federal laws that make it easier for workers to join unions, number one. And where are the federal laws that make it easier to protect workers? Where's the accountability at? There is none. Instead, they get slaps on the wrist and they give out breadcrumbs.
And I get it. We see the strikes. We see how unions are striking all over the country. You would think that it, it's doing something. It is, but it's not doing it. Union density in America is less than 6%. Nobody's in the union. Nobody. So we can sit here and pat ourselves on our backs and lie to ourselves saying that, oh, labor's doing great things in this country. We're doing great things in our in our little bubble. But in order to get that out, we have to change how we're organizing. We got to change how we're holding people accountable. And we have to take stances when it comes to worldwide issues like Palestine. Other labor leaders besides myself and the select few need to be doing exactly what we're doing and speaking up and making sure that we're amplifying the youth and the younger generation. Let's talk about how unions have helped to colonize Palestine. After World War II, more European Jews moved to Palestine and the U.S. turned away Jews. So there were Jewish labor unionists who were advocating for more immigration to Palestine at that time. They established the Histadrut, a labor Zionist organization in Palestine. A union federation all aimed at building a new economy that would absorb the influx of European and American Jewish settlers while deliberately excluding Palestinians. Istadrut received millions of dollars in donations from U.S. unions between 1920 and 1940. Some of its early leaders, like David Ben-Gurion and uh, Golda Meir, went on to become figures in the founding of the occupation. To this day, it continues to play a vital role in the oppression of Palestinians by publicly supporting Israel's attacks on Gaza and other war crimes, maintaining active commercial interests in the entire illegal settlement of the occupation, allowing Jewish Israeli settlers in the occupied West Bank to join the organization, and illegally withholding over 8.3 billion from wages earned by Palestinian workers. This money was deducted by the Zionist state and transferred to the Histadrut for quote, social and other trade union benefits that Palestinian workers have never received. It was founded in Palestine in 1920, but if you Google it, it says Israel, even though Israel was not a place in 1920. Mm, there you go. So it was a uh... It was just a lie from its inception, pretty much. In its founding statement, the Palestinian Trade Union Coalition for BDS called on international trade unions to sever all ties with the Histadrut, and a large number of trade unions have done exactly that. Have you had any interaction with this organization? Oh, no. Thank, thank God. <laughs> no. No, I, they wouldn't dare. I mean, I'm on, we're on the island in America. Put it like this. We're already on the island because we're independent. We're not even a part of the AFL-CIO. We don't even get the help and support right now from established unions that we should get, let alone, um, I guess, a union that's based they're based from Israel, from my understanding. Let me what, double check. There's unions out there, I'm going to be honest with you, you know, in my short experience, once again, uh, meeting a lot of unions, going to all over the world, different conferences and talking to different unions and leaders. There's unions out there that just don't align with the work that I'm doing and the work that my union is doing. But we just wouldn't affiliate with anything that oppresses people. <laughs> that just, that's, no, it's a no-go. I just think naturally when it comes to the work that I'm doing, the unions that I'm working with now, I'm going to be honest, the reason why they're more international is because they have words that we don't like to use over here, communism. Socialism, Marxism. I work with those type of unions. And unfortunately, American unions 
they stay far away from that, at least for the most part. Now, I know the younger generation is a little bit different. Oh, so that's the reason why I became so popular amongst pretty much any movement, because it's not about what category I'm in. It's about the work that I'm doing. And when I go overseas to Paris and France, and we're posting about these unions that shut down countries, guess what type of unions those are? Those are communist unions. But we won't put it out there that way. American news won't cover that. Media won't even touch anything that got to do with communist unions and shutting down countries like we saw in Paris and doing the things that they do right now. We're never going to put it out there like that. So it's up to me, and this is why I said other labor leaders need to do what I'm doing. Go get that knowledge. Understand how are they able to do this stuff? You know why they're able to do it? Because they have laws that are actually working for them. They're part of the government. They started a, a labor party that is one third of the government. So people have a voice real time. Sweden, 90% union density. Everybody's in the union. Literally, everybody and their mother's in the union. And then you're talking about Elon, who's trying to go over there and sue the government because he don't want to work with the unions and the 90%. He's a fool. He's a fool. He can't do shit. They're going to shut it down. And they already done that. They on strike. I know them. I've been there. I learned from their parliament. I learned from their trade unions. How y'all able to do this stuff? You know why? Because they all work together. They work together. They don't work in separate chambers. They're in the parliament together. The trade unions are working with the government to make sure that workers in Sweden remains a working class country. And that's just one example. One example, there's other countries out there with labor parties that include unions and labor leaders into the government. Could you imagine? Now, everybody in this country, I mean, for the most part, the young people on the left, we praise the squad. We praise the politicians like AOC and, and all the young progressive politicians. We praise them, right? And guess what? No offense about their age or anything. Imagine this, if everybody in our government was in their 20s right now, how, how much easier would it be for us to get what we want? Go to Sweden. You're going to see 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds. You're going to see you're going to see 100 AOCs walking around there, literally. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I'm not saying, I'm just talking about young people, young, progressive people that just know what to do, know what we want as the younger generation and know what we're fighting for and what's been given to us and what hasn't been given to us. It's not much conversation in between that I have to have with them because their ideology already aligns with the work that I'm doing. So when I sat down with that parliament with a group of, with their caucus, their youth caucus, all 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds, and they told me that Amazon is flying them to their headquarters in Seattle. Guess what? They told me, they said, Chris, what do you want us to tell Andy Jassy? They asked me that. I've been in this country doing the work and no politician, not even Bernie Sanders, has ever asked me, what do you want to do to Andy Jassy right now? Make it make sense. It doesn't. So we have to do more. We have to hold people accountable. Sometimes it has to be unions, and there's no problem with that. These are the conversations that are missing right now that we have to have. Chris, I'm curious about like your own personal background and how you sort of came to embody the role that you're in today. I mean, you, you're part of this mammoth organization that for a lot of people represents like 
essentially the pinnacle of capitalism, right? And then to to organize labor union and to like be the face of it and to advocate for your rights as workers and then also to develop, you know, and articulate these positions of global solidarity. Like it really is something which I think is historic. I was curious about you. Like where do you come from? How how do you how did you decide to be like the guy to do this? And why why did you feel like you needed to do all of this? It would have been certainly much easier either to find another job, I think, or to <laughs> Or to just not not care so much, not 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 become a target, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, it definitely would have been easier to not care. Um, yeah, that's a lot of people' excuses. And when you're talking about pandemic, uh, life or death situation that I was in. I didn't have much of a choice. I lost everything when I got fired. You know, I got fired in 2020. I hit rock bottom pretty much. I lost my health insurance. I lost my money. I lost my income, savings, everything. And now we're talking about quarantine. There's no job, really. I couldn't get another job at the time. And Amazon fired me publicly. So what job was really going to hire me as a whistleblower? I was a whistleblower at the time. So probably I, not I the best way to <laughs> to yeah. find, to convince you. You're, I mean, you're blacklisting yourself, right? Like nobody wants to hire a whistleblower. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people tell me I give off whistleblower energy. Uh, <laughs> somebody, somebody said that I look like Edward Snowden if he went to <laughs> ITT Tech. I was like, dang, not even a four year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was that was a, a real thing that I had to make a decision real quick. Like, and I de I decided, and and Amazon helped. Uh, they definitely helped with that leaked memo. You know, Jeff Bezos signed off on a memo about me. Uh, that went public, and 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 like you said, they made me the face of the whole unionizing efforts. Their words. So when Jeff Bezos decided to do that, I decided. I'm going to continue to advocate for workers' rights. One door closed, another one opened. I didn't know I was going to be a union president. Wasn't even trying to organize a union. I organized a nonprofit for a while. We flew across the country. And then it wasn't until Alabama, Bessemer, Alabama, their campaign took off when they were unsuccessful. We decided that we're going to try our, our chances in Staten Island. And... And yeah, we made that journey possible. It took me over 300 days at a bus stop, you know, connecting with people, earning their trust, building relationships, and we were successful. Me, my whole life, just to get my personal background, it's like, you no know, people most mostly share about my fashion. I was in the music industry for a brief moment, you know, right out of high school, I was a rapper. So being an independent rapper, you you had to be a people's person, especially back then. I'm talking 2009. You know, there is no Instagram and Twitter like that. There is, but it's not, it's really new. It's not even out there like that yet. And I had to go meet people in person, go to college campuses, put out flyers. I used the old Facebook model and all of that. I had to go and really, really bring people out to my independent shows. And I was very successful for a while. It wasn't until I had to become an essential worker again, working at Amazon, that uh, reality hit me again. And that's how I developed those people skills at Amazon and even as a rapper. I, I developed all of that. So I already had it naturally. It was just more of when Amazon fired me, it radicalized me. Like, oh, shit, I'm 30, 
I'm 31 years old. I've been through enough. I worked for 16 years in my life. I'm tired of this shit. I'm tired of a job just using me and abusing me. And I gave Amazon five years of my blood, sweat, and tears. Not just one building. I opened up three buildings for them. New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. So I was just tired. I was really tired. And I said, you know what? Instead of me jumping out of one fire into the next, I'm going to stick, I'm going to stick here and I'm going to fight back. And, and here we are today, you know, three years, four years later, I'm still the same person that walked out of there in 2020. Just now, I'm using my platform. I'm using my position as the Amazon president to continue and amplify and work struggles no matter what industry, because we're all in it together. It doesn't matter if it's just Amazon. We're all in this fight together because in the next few years, one out of every four Americans is going to have work for Amazon or know somebody who work in Amazon. So Michael's joke might be real one day. <laughs> I just applied for a uh, job at Amazon. Okay. Yeah, they asked me what my biggest strengths were, and I said, organizing labor unions. Uh, <laughs> so, haven't heard from them. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Dang, you sound like you got you sound like you got out of a bad marriage. You know what I mean? You're like, I gave him the best five years of my life. Like, yeah, I I feel that, dude. Uh, and actually, just, not over. You're like, this is like yeah. the divorce, but mm -hmm. we're in litigation still because we're. I'm still in it. I haven't, I haven't stopped saying the word Amazon for the last ten years. It's been a part of my vocabulary every single day. That's how much this job has taken over my life, and it's not just my life. It's taking over everybody's life. I bet you everybody can probably sit here and say, "Damn, I say Amazon every fucking day." But what? What has this company gave to my community? So we have to think along those lines. What am I doing to support the worker who's my neighbor, who's getting fucked over by the billionaire? That's what the that's the conversation I'm trying to have and amplify. You said something that struck me just now. It's taken over your life. Like this notion that Amazon is, you know, you've been saying this word, it's taken over your life, it's unavoidable, it's like it's consumed you in a way. And part of that I think is like when people go through something that is unjust, it obviously takes over and consumes you because you're dealing with the injustice and then like, how do I react to the injustice? And like, what do I do about it? I have to talk about it. I have to take action. I have to try and correct the injustice. And it reminds me a lot actually of what my own brain is going through in this moment, trying to juggle regular working life in this, cap in this capitalist world, right? And then being a Palestinian and having family in Gaza and having friends in Gaza and watching my people be genocided in the first live stream genocide in modern history and all the previous trauma that I've had in my own body and brain and DNA and family of the last 75 years of being Palestinian and not knowing a single day of freedom in a place where I'm surrounded by my people, right? Because right. I can be free as a Palestinian American living in the United States, right? I have freedoms and, you know, I have human rights, right? Allegedly. Um, <laughs> but this idea that as a, as a Palestinian community, there's never been a place for the last 75 years where all of us can gather in one physical space and have freedom and human rights doesn't exist in Palestine, doesn't exist outside of Palestine. 
and that the trauma that comes with that, that's been in my, my psyche, but also is like imprinted in my DNA because it's been passed down from, you know, my grandparents to my parents to me. And then the trauma of this moment, and then trying to maintain some semblance of like normalcy and like producing work that is up to the standards that like my peers are producing who are not thinking about genocide every day, right? Like I feel like, and maybe I'm just rambling, but I, th these ideas are coming together for me in this moment. But no, you know there's, what? It, it, there's this feeling that like when you're an oppressed person or part of an oppressed group, like the system is in is explicitly set up in such a way for you to just be boxed out of it because it requires you day in and day out to produce a level of work, right? And for you at Amazon, it's, you know, whatever you, you whatever the, the. It's day. no bathroom breaks. Right. It's, yeah. it's, this is what you have to do. And it's like, for me as a lawyer in a corporate environment, it's like, you have to build this many hours and the work has to be immaculate. And it's like this, this, this. And it's like, but my colleagues who are of European descent are not thinking about genocide and we both have to produce the same thing. And it's like, if I can't live up to that, then I will end up boxing myself out if the designers don't get me fired. So it's like, yes. what? The system is set up for white people to excel because all they're thinking about is golfing. You know what I mean? Whereas like you are thinking about the genocide of your people. And they're like, am I going to make my tea time? And right. it's like, how do you, and, and I'm just curious to hear your thoughts about like, just this feeling of like, you know, the pressure to perform, but then like you're the people who you're being compared against don't have the same pressures that you do. Absolutely not. And it's amazing because I only been doing this shit for three years and I, I, my expectations is beyond what I ever could imagine. People think that I am some type of superhuman being and I can be all over the world in the blink of an eye. And I'm like, I can't, I wish I could, but I'm not a part of the clone, the clonies yet. So in the establishment, so I never will be. I'm only one of one and I can only do but so much. So for you personally and, and for me and everybody, like you gotta take care of yourself first. like. I take every day, day by day, one day at a time. Because every day I wake up to some bullshit. Every yes. Day. Yes. Every Thank day. you. So, so mentally, it's the same thing when I worked at Amazon. Every day I say, I'm going to clock in. There's going to be some bullshit at work today. So mentally, I'm already, whatever happens, is I'm going to deal with it. When it comes to organizing, you know what you signed up for is not going to be resolved tomorrow. As much as we want, there to be a ceasefire, we got to know mentally that it ain't going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen in the future. We don't know when that may be, but it's not going to happen when we say it's going to happen. So that will at least alleviate the fact that you're going to expect something good to happen. Because when you expect something good to happen, it never happens. Don't expect anything good. Just expect the worst. Expect the worst. So you don't have to mentally say, oh, shit, damn, I didn't think that was going to happen. No, you did. You definitely knew it was going to happen. You knew it. The cup is not half empty. The cup is shattered. Okay, thank exactly. you so much. Exactly. And, and like, we know who the people in power are who's making decisions for the rest of them, for the rest of us. 
We know who they are. We know who these billionaires are. We know what they're doing. We know who the fuck is on the Epstein list. We know that. We know who they who they are. So a lot of Zionists. A lot of Zionists so we, on that list. So we and Stephen Hawking apparently don't know what his right. position is on Palestine. So we but. shouldn't be surprised about shit that we're seeing right now. We shouldn't be because it's crazy. It's like we're in the matrix. This is the matrix. Every day I get up with that mentality, like you know what, I'm going to be. In, I'm stepping in some shit, but I'll be okay because I got my comrades with me. And it may not be the people at work, <laughs> trust me, because even them, they can pull you in another direction. Distractions, whatever. That's what that's what capitalism wants. They want you to be distracted. Economy, going back to work, working two fucking jobs, taking care of your household, taking care of your kids, taking care of whatever hits your uh, plate that is unexpected, your car breakdown. They want you to be distracted with these little shits. Price of food going up. You can't afford shit in the, in the supermarket. You can't afford gas petrol whatever so they want you to be distracted they want to talk about trump 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 Trump. that's all they want to talk about they don't never want to get down to the nitty-gritty so not being distracted understanding that oh no i need to talk about palestine every single day at my workplace until these motherfuckers get it because it's not it's not that they're wrong it's that they're misinformed and then and one day, and this is how organizing works. See, people get in organizing because it looks easy. It looks pretty. It looks cool sometimes. Let me join up. Let me get in there. And then they then they hit that brick wall when they get knocked on their ass. And they're like, oh, no, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. So we can't allow that to continue. We have to break that cycle of let me get in, one foot in, one foot out. It doesn't work that way. When you're in something, like you're in it. You're both feet in. You, there's no there's no doubt about it. You're not getting out of your fight of for Palestinian liberation. You're not. You're all the way in it. You cannot organize with people around you that's going to have one foot in. It's not going to work. They got to be all the way in with you. And if you have that as your core circle, as your core, because your, your outer core is going to change all the time. And I've learned that in my short three years of organizing. People going to leave you, stab you in the back, talk shit about you, all types of shit. It's going to happen. It comes with the territory. But as long as you can stay true to your values, what you're fighting for, and as long as you allow the work to speak for itself, as long as you take care of the core people that is aligning to the work that you're doing, no matter what is thrown our way, we'll be able to overcome it. We just have to stay together, and we also have to bring people into this movement in different spaces that we never couldn't imagine because we're not there yet. We're in a small bubble. This is why we can be radicalized as we want. Our neighbors are not. Even the people in our own family. We have we could go to our own family, start there. We know right now there's people in our family that's like, oh well, you know, Israel, shut the hell up. You need to listen to what we got. Well, not in my so, family, right? Because no, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not yours. Definitely not yours. But I'm but I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Uh, yes, there are the, people in my family, though, who would be like, actually, right. you know, there's people in our community, regardless, that are still just walking around 2024 with fucking blinders on like the world is not fucking ending right now. And then we got to we got to we got to shake these people up like, yo, what the fuck are you doing? Wake up. Let's let's talk about staying true to your values. 
Workers in the United States, including numerous rank and file unionists and local union representatives, are risking their jobs and their futures to speak out against the ongoing genocide and siege of Gaza by the Israeli occupation. Many are pledging their solidarity with Palestinian trade unions, which have already called on organized labor to refuse to manufacture or transport weapons destined for the occupation. Labor leaders in various countries have joined in these calls, but top U.S. labor officials, especially those in the AFL-CIO, have mostly refrained from supporting a ceasefire, a few making tepid statements about a humanitarian crisis. After a central labor council in Olympia, Washington, unanimously passed a ceasefire and Palestine Solidarity Resolution, the national AFL-CIO even stepped in to censor the measure. Yeah. Were you familiar with that? And can you talk about how the censorship of unions, the suing of unions will ultimately backfire just like it did with the Starbucks union, suing yeah. them for their solidarity with Palestine? Yeah, it's not just the unions, it's with college campuses too. It's sad. I've seen it. I've been to, I was up there at York University in Toronto. I'm seeing it all over New York City, NYU, Columbia, to fight their faculty. We're seeing it. Students being kicked out of school, kicked out, being banned, their organizations being banned, shut down, money, threats, because they're speaking out and demonstrating, using their rights about Palestine. And the same thing with unions. There's a disconnect between the AFL top leadership and the rank and file members. And when it, it's going to come out soon anyway, but I was on the podcast with Amanda Seals. Everybody loves Amanda Seals. We know her. She's a part of SAG, sag Atra. I brought it up on her show. I said, did you know that you endorsed Biden? And she's like, what are you talking about? I said, well, did you know that, I mean, SAG is a part of AFL-CIO. And the AFL-CIO has 60 unions underneath their umbrella. They're one of them. I said, and they endorse Biden for you. <laughs> She's like, oh, shit. So that's how that works. You don't even have a, a say. You don't even know half the time what your leadership is doing in your union. That's the difference of why my union, I want to form a rank-and-file worker-led union where the workers have say in what direction the union go. And and that's all we have to do is really, we provide the information and we let workers decide for themselves what who they want to vote for. For example, I already had Marion Williamson come visit us. Already had Jill Stein come visit us. We're going to have Claudia De La Cruz next week come visit us. We're going to have Cornell West come visit us. I'm giving the workers the opportunity to talk to these people talk to these politicians and make their decision based on that. I'm not telling them which way to go. I'm not, you know, doing any of that. I'm just facilitating so that they are aware where their vote and how their voices are being heard and being used. When that uh, politician from Europe asked you what you wanted to say to the Amazon representative, did you Google guillotines? Oh, did I Google it? I actually <laughs> built one. <laughs> I built a guillotine right outside of Jeff Bezos' house. That's tight. Over 11, over 11 million views on YouTube. Go look it up. Washington, D.C. We protested oh, yeah, I remember that, actually. That's fire, dude. That's so <laughs> dope. <laughs> Do I know what a guillotine? I built one right outside yeah. of Jeff Bezos' crib. 
No, I meant like uh, Amazon, Google one. You know what I mean? Like have them deliver it. Man, I you know what I the only thing I ordered from Amazon, and this is for everybody who's shopping on fucking Amazon. I don't know why. I've never bought shit from there and I work there. The only thing I ordered from Amazon when they fired me, I ordered the fucking bullhorn to protest against them. And I still nice. have it till this day. Nice. I also don't purchase anything for Amazon. It was just a joke, but uh <laughs> it's all good. Union support in the United States was providing weapons to the Zionist militias. So by the end of World War II, Jewish American Unionist ILWGU President David Dubinsky was well into advocating for the partition of Palestine, soon to be officially recognized by the U.S. government with no regard for Palestinians. He was joined also by non-Jewish labor leaders as well, including AFL President William Green and CIO head Philip Murray. In April 1948, during the Nakba, Zionist militias murdered people in what they called Plan D or Dale, a campaign of genocide against the Palestinians. On April 14th, five days after the Deir Yassin massacre, 30,000 members of the ILGWU and other needle trade unionists in New York staged a half-day work stoppage and rallied at Yankee Stadium to demand President Harry Truman embrace the partition and lift the arms embargo he had imposed so more weapons could flow to the Zionist occupation forces. It was partly due to this intense pressure from his allies and organized labor during his tumultuous re-election campaign that Harry Truman recognized the occupation upon its formal founding the next month. Under Dubinsky, the ILGWU extended a $1 million loan to the new Zionist government and set up a multi-million dollar bond program to fund the building of 8,000 homes inside the occupation for incoming Jewish settlers. So with that in mind, we see that it's possible for the labor movement in this country to make effective changes if sufficient pressure is applied what can we do to get to a place where we have the same type of juice as the murderers yeah we got to start with accountability now when it comes to labor leaders and it's not just uh, uh aimed at labor leaders but just think about this how many other labor leaders besides myself will come on this podcast. I would imagine not many. Then that means that we're not doing enough in labor. That That's just sad. If we can't even say, well, I could get Chris Smalls to come to the rally because I'll definitely come to any Everybody know they can call me, DM me, email me. Some way or some fashion, if I can make it happen, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to be there on the ground. I'm going to release my statement. I'm going to amplify. I'm going to share the post. I'm, whatever you guys ask me to do, people know they can come to me. And I get it all the time. Who else? And and that's the question that I have as well. If we can get to a point where it's like Chris Smalls and X, Y, Z, A, B, C, now we got some real power. And, and the reason why I don't have the, the, the power with the politicians because we're not a part of the AFL-CIO. We're not a part of the Democratic Party. We're independent union. We're on the island. Besides being on Staten Island, we're literally on the island, even within labor, 
because we're not affiliated with any of them. So instead of it being a competition on who's who, why not be aligned on one issue right now? Let's let's talk about that. I align with ending genocide. Ceasefire right now. Why not everybody else? That's a question you got to ask them. But we know where their money's going. We know who they're endorsing. And if they're all endorsing Biden, then guess what? You got closed mouths. And that doesn't align with the working class people right now. So now that's what you're seeing is the friction and divisiveness of how this issue is working even within labor. Something that capitalism also wants us to do. They want us to fight in-house. But we can't right now. We cannot do that. We need other labor leaders besides myself to take a stance. And we also need to hold them accountable. Why are you not just talking about Palestine? You're talking about social injustice, not climate, all of these things right now. We need to do that. And, and the time is around. It's now. No, uh, no point of return. So I want your opinion. How close or maybe far away are we from being able to organize a general strike in the United States? Man, I would love to. I'm optimistic as fuck. But when you got union density is less than six percent in the private sector, less than ten percent in the public sector, it ain't we we need to we gotta go back to the roots. And okay, lean into what's making you optimistic. Uh what <laughs> what what is that? What's making me optimistic is definitely the work that uh that that we're doing now. Um and it's possible. I've seen it. I visit countries that do general strikes all the time, so I know it's possible. I don't know how and when we're going to get to that point in this country. But if we can start with the roots, the root causes of why union density is so low, then I think we can start to have those conversations. And right now, the roots is, like I mentioned in the beginning, we don't have any federal laws that's helping us. Why do you think they won't pass a law called the card check? something that they have right over the border in Canada, right in Vancouver. You know why? Because it's one of the easiest laws, progressive laws ever. It makes it easier for any worker in any industry to just apply for a union, not have an election, not be subjected to union busting and all the things that billionaires and millionaires can do, but have a union by applying for an application. What? On a federal, could you imagine how many people in this country, right? If 77% of Americans support unions, we always put that out there. If 77% of Americans knew how easy it was to join a union, they would do it. But being in a union in America is like being in the NBA. It's an exclusive club. And I don't know why is it so exclusive when it's supposed to be for everybody. But it's not because nobody's in it. Nobody's in these exclusive clubs that we have in America, because that's how I look at our union. We're an exclusive club that everybody needs to be a part of, but because of the powers and our oppressors may be, we're not getting them into our exclusive club. And who helping that is the Democratic Party. If we don't see that as for 60 years, we ain't got shit for 60 years. I'm the new kid on the block. I'm the rookie on the block. And guess what? I, I've learned that in my short journey that these politicians ain't been doing shit for us. What are we 
what are we giving them endorsements for? So it's time that unions start having real conversations, leadership of these unions start taking more stances and holding politicians accountable. We're not giving you no endorsements until you go back and draft the damn bill. Draft the bill that helps us organize. If you can't do that, draft the bill that at least protects us. Oh, you can't do that? Then draft a bill that holds Jeff Bezos and billionaires accountable for exploitation. Oh, you can't do that? Well, well, damn it, what the fuck can you do then? So, you know what? It's no point to have you in office then. If you can't do none of those three things, we haven't gotten that. Once we get those, we'll be able to have a conversation about a general strike. But we can't. We cannot have a conversation without a general strike when union density is as low as it is. Until we get above 30, 40, 50 percent in this country, now we're talking. Now we're talking. But right now we're not there yet. Damn. Okay. Well, I guess the takeaway from this episode is unionize your workplace. Fuck yeah. I mean, that's simple. And and people want to talk about, oh, you guys don't have a contract. You don't have a contract. You don't have a contract. Let me tell you this. Create a union. And then come holler at me. Because it's one thing to be in a union and join a union. But to create a union is a whole nother monster that only myself and a select few of others have done. It's really, really difficult. And I'm challenging people. I'm not disrespecting. I'm not saying that you can't do it. I'm challenging people to not sit on the sidelines and say, oh, well, they don't got a contract. If you yourself is going to work every day and you know that you can organize, you have the knowledge, you're radicalized to do that, then I challenge you to create a union and find out for yourself how difficult it really is to actually be a union in this country. Because people do not know what indoors. They know from the established unions that have been around, and that's great. We definitely love them. The UAWs, the Teamsters, the AFLs, the, the 1199s, the SEIU. We love all of those unions that have been around. We also need more unions to arise, like Amazon Labor Union, like Starbucks Workers United, like Trader Joe's Workers United. We need these new unions to also have the same type of resources and establishment one day. Perfect. I think that's a good place to leave it. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Palestine Pod. Folks, that's been another episode of the pod. Go ahead and check out all of our episodes and sources at www.palestinepod.com. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at the Palestine Pod and look for us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash palestinepod. That's been another episode of the pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have as good a day as you can. And Chris, thank you so, so much for joining us. Yeah. It's such an yeah. honor to be in conversation with you. Such a yeah, pleasure. Thank great. you so much, Chris. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank and um, yeah, whatever you guys need, you know, already know. Just let thank me know. You. Thank Love you. Love that. So thank much. you so much. Appreciate you. Love,